John 8, 21, 8, 21 to 30, unless you believe. John 8, 21. He said, therefore, again to them, I go away and you shall seek me and shall die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. Therefore, the Jews were saying, surely he will not kill himself, will he? Since he says, where I am going, you cannot come. And he was saying to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I said therefore to you that you shall die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you shall die in your sins. And so they were saying to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, What have I been saying to you from the beginning? I have many things to speak and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true, and the things which I heard from him, these I speak to the world. They did not realize that he had been speaking to them about the Father. Jesus therefore said, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. For I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord, we're grateful for this relationship you have established with us. Thank you that you have not left us. You have not left us alone. Because you chose to save us, and now we understand this truth. And we thank you, Lord, that from beginning to end, now that we believe, we shall endure until the end, and you will not turn away from us. Yet, Father, we read in in these words how this is not the case with many, many people. They hear the words of Christ, but they don't believe the words of Christ. They claim to have knowledge, but they don't have true knowledge. We, Lord, ask that you would show us this truth, this reality from this passage, that it might help us better understand whenever we are preaching the word, whenever we see people who profess faith, but don't actually practice the faith. Teach us, Lord, from this passage the implications of these things for us as we learn from Christ, our Lord and Savior. We ask in his name. Amen. In this chapter, or in this part of the chapter, especially our passage today, we have Jesus now claiming and asserting that he is distancing himself from the people. Jesus is walking away from the people. That is an amazing and astounding truth to consider. Because most often we hear that God will always be there for us. Whether we believe in Him or not, God will always be there for us. Jesus loves us unconditionally. God will always give us a chance to repent. God will always allow us to believe. These words and sentiments 
are often bandied about in popular Christianity. Yet they are not true. They are completely false. Here in our text, our Lord will illustrate for us the fact that even when He was alive, the Supreme Teacher, the Perfect One from Heaven, the One who did not preach anything incorrectly or ineptly, Nothing was wrong or nothing was unskilled in what he said. And at the same time, the multitude did not believe. Even the brilliant ones, the self-proclaimed brilliant ones among them, did not believe. They had knowledge of the word, but they didn't truly believe the word. These are the people that Christ is addressing in this chapter, and especially here, He's emphasizing the point that he's walking away from them. He's walking away from them. He's done with them. He's not going to keep preaching and insisting with them. Of course, it continues until the end of the chapter, but he's announcing the fact that a time is coming when he's walking away from them. And he has no concern for their salvation any longer. This is Jesus Christ. Is this the Jesus Christ of our minds? Is this the Jesus Christ that we in our minds have come to understand from the Bible? Or are we embracing the Jesus Christ of the world, the Jesus Christ of the culture? Which Jesus Christ is the true Jesus? Those also, those thoughts should come to our mind when we read this passage and understand truly, correctly, what he's saying here. Let's begin to do so in verse 21. He said, therefore, again to them. These are the ones he preaches again to them and says something more to them. These are the ones who were mocking him and were resisting him as having no authority and no good testimony in the previous paragraph. He says that he's the light of the world, but they don't believe that he's the light of the world. These are the ones that don't know him and don't know the Father. He has clearly told them that they don't know the Father, who is also his Father. He told them that in verses 18 and 19. They don't know the Father because they don't know him. They don't know God. They are lost. He continues then, with them to say, I go away. There's a time when I'm going to walk away from you. It's actually, by the end of this chapter, it's going to happen because they want to murder him. They want to persecute him to death because it says in verse 59, 859, therefore they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. He's going to go away in the immediate context because of that reason, but he's also going away because... He's going to die, rise again, and ascend to heaven. But, most importantly, he's going away in that he's withdrawing himself from them, spiritually speaking. I go away, and you shall seek me, and shall die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. Yes, he is going to go away from the earth and ascend into heaven, and they cannot come to heaven. This is what he's teaching. 
But what is it that he's saying and threatening to them in verse 21? When he leaves, you shall seek me and shall die in your sin. He's saying, though physically this is what's going to happen, we will part ways physically, but most importantly, spiritually, you're going to seek me, but you're going to die in your sin. Your sin of unbelief, it will overcome you. You will not overcome the consequence of your sin. Because we sin, we die, which started in Genesis chapter 3. It was threatened in Genesis 2, 15 to 17, and actually happened in chapter 3, when Adam and Eve sinned against God. Because of sin, we die. And if our sin isn't resolved, our death isn't resolved. If they don't believe that Jesus died on the cross for their sins, then they will die in their sin, die in the consequences of their sin, which is eternal punishment in the lake of fire and brimstone forever and ever. And they will be co-inhabitants with the devil and his angels, the evil spirits. All the wicked and evil spirits and Satan himself will be punished there. That's the consequence of dying in sin. They will seek him, though. Sometimes the wicked, in their sin and misery, in their desperation, they realize they have a a certain sense that God is true. God is alive. He is true. The Bible is true. Jesus Christ is true. They have a certain sense that that is the case. But repentance is never aroused in them to the extent that they believe in the gospel. There is a a gap that resides in many, many people who hear the gospel. That is, they realize to a certain extent their sin and misery. And yet that sin and misery does not lead them to full repentance and full faith. They have elements of repentance, which makes a false repentance. They have elements of faith which makes it false faith, but they don't have true faith because it does not lead to the restoration or salvation of their soul and it doesn't manifest itself in their life, their life between the time of their profession of faith and their death. There are many people who seek God, but in superficial and worthless ways and they don't come to fruition in what they seek. This is actually also preached in Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1. After the wisdom of the gospel is preached, Proverbs 1, the wisdom of the gospel is preached, 1 verse 20. There comes a time when those who hear it will seek God, but God will say, No, there's no more. Proverbs 1, verse 20. Wisdom. Now, now this is the true wisdom of God, which is residing in the gospel. Wisdom shouts in the street. She lifts her voice in the square. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the gates in the city, she utters her sayings. And what does she say? Verse 22. How long, O naive ones, will you love simplicity? And scoffers delight themselves in scoffing 
and fools hate knowledge. Turn to my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. That's what is said. But then the consequence of unbelief. Verse 24. Because I called and you refused, I stretched out my hand and no one paid attention. And you neglected all my counsel and did not want my reproof. I will even laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your dread comes. When your dread comes like a storm and your calamity comes on like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come on you, then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they shall not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, they would not accept my counsel. They spurned all my reproof. So they shall eat of the fruit of their own way and be satiated with their own devices. For the waywardness of the naive shall kill them and the complacency of fools shall destroy them. But he who listens to me shall live securely and shall be at ease from the dread of evil. This is what Christ means. You shall seek me and shall die in your sins. Verse 22, John 8, 22. Therefore the Jews were saying, surely he will not kill himself, will he? Since he says, where am I going? Uh, where I am going, you cannot come. We believe here again in verse 22 that the Jews are ridiculing Christ mocking Christ as they did in verse 19 when they said, where is your father? They are, in spite, answering Christ. Because who kills himself but a fool? Right? Who kills himself? Who murders himself but one who is a fool and insane? He's not thinking correctly about himself, his circumstances, God, life, and the afterlife. Well, they are suggesting here, surely he will not kill himself, will he? And if he kills himself, of course, we're not going to be there. We're not going to stand there and watch him do that. Because usually when people commit self-murder, they do it alone. They don't do it in the presence of other people, usually the case. So they are basically accusing Christ of being foolish, being insane, being someone who doesn't understand reality, does not understand God in the afterlife. And they will not be a witness to it. That's what they think, or that's how they mock Christ. Since he says, where I am going, you cannot come. Because I have to do it when no one is looking. I have to go somewhere else and take care of my own business. That is, take away my life. No, it's not going to happen that way. He's been preaching... He's been preaching and will preach again in verse 28, for example, when you lift up the Son of Man. He's been preaching public crucifixion, not private suicide, but public crucifixion. He's been preaching that. They should know that, but they don't believe that. Instead, they have the audacity to throw it back on Christ with ridicule. He asserts, he further asserts, verse 23, And he, Jesus, was saying to them, You are from below. 
I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. He lets them know what their origin is. He tells them they are from the world. Their origin was the world. Their body was formed in the world and their soul was formed in the world, right? When they were conceived in their mother's womb. Every human is that way, from the world. We do not originate from heaven. Contrary to false theologies, both within Christianity and outside of Christianity, false theologies say we originate from heaven because there God creates spirits or gods and goddesses procreate in heaven and produce spirits and those spirit babies come to live on the earth. So we originate in heaven, they say, and then come to dwell on the earth. Yes, there are false theologies that believe that. And yet, that's not the case. We originate from the world and below, except Christ. Christ here, it says, I am from above. I am not of this world. In verse 23, he originates in heaven. And he's claiming here, by implication, that he possesses deity and he possesses the commission of the Father, God the Father. He possesses a divine nature and he's sent into the world by the Father with a mission. The Father appointed him, set him apart, and sent him on a mission into the world. Though he was born physically of Mary by the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit, Luke chapter 1, that is true, yet... His divine origin is in heaven. He possesses deity from heaven. They don't, he does. And therefore, if he's from heaven with the work of the Father to accomplish on the earth, why don't you believe it? Why don't you know it? Why don't you consider this fact? I'm asserting it. Why are you so easily dismissing it? Why are you so easily ridiculing it? Why don't you contemplate it? Why don't you meditate on it? Why don't you think about it? It's no light matter. You're from here. I'm from there. Why don't you want to listen to someone from heaven? 24. If they don't, verse 24, I said, therefore, to you that you shall die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you shall die in your sins. Because they reject the truth of his divine origin and his divine mission, because they reject this truth, they will die in their sins. It's necessary to believe in the correct identity of Christ and the correct ministry of Christ. If we don't believe in his correct identity and his correct ministry, we die in sins. All of our numerous, innumerable sins, we die in them. We die in the consequence, the penalty of our sins. Because if we do not believe that he is who he claims to be, in terms of his own person and his own work, his identity and his ministry, if we don't believe in him, we die in sins.
And that is miserable. It's miserable to die in sins, to live life pretentiously, to be a a pretender throughout life. And then once we die, to meet God and the consequences of our sin before God, and then for all eternity, forever and ever, to deal with this punishment. If we cannot fathom it, how eternity is, think about our numbering system. Do we not say numbers go positive indefinitely, infinitely into the future, and negative numbers in the reverse direction, infinite negative numbers? If this is true in our physical reality, which no one except someone ignorant or insane would deny, that numbers have an infinite positive direction and negative direction. If that's true in our physical world, and we can indeed comprehend it, can we not comprehend when Jesus says you will die in your sins, elsewhere in Scripture that this lasts forever and ever, how could that be a good thing? How could that be desirable? Why does it not halt us? Why does it not stop us? Why does it not so arrest us that we have to think about it before we leave the situation, before we leave the presence of Christ? Why is it that people don't believe the moment they hear it? They should. Today is the day of salvation, 2 Corinthians 7, 2. We need to believe it now. Not take it casually, not take it lightly, don't be flippant, don't, uh, let alone, never mock the truth of God. We should never do these kinds of things, yet people do these things. And the warning, Jesus tells his own hearers, he tells them, you shall die in your sins. I keep preaching the same thing to you again and again. I explain it in many ways. In 10,000 precepts of my law, I gave it to you. It's in your hands. And now personally you hear, hear audibly my words and you still refuse to believe. What's wrong with you? Don't you understand the consequences of your sins? You will die eternally in your sins. You would think that that kind of an ominous, serious, solemn message would cause people to repent. It does not. Look at verse 25. Verse 25, it didn't cause them. And so they were saying to him, Who are you? Who are you? Another question of mockery. It's, it's done in sarcasm. Who are you? Has he not told them many, many times who he is? Yes. In chapter 5, he told them and they wanted to kill him. In chapter 5, 16 to 18, he told them and they wanted to kill him. They'll want to kill him at the end of this chapter too. They want to kill him. They know who he is. They know what he's been saying. Chapter 10 also, chapter 10, 24, 10, 24, in terms of Jesus 
telling them he has been clear to them. 10.24, the Jews therefore gathered around him and were saying to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Tell us plainly. Accusing Christ of being capricious. Accusing Christ of being deceitful. You're not being straightforward with us. You're not being plain and clear to us. That's their accusation. Verse 25, Jesus answered them, I told you. I told you and you do not believe. I told you plainly who I am and you do not believe. Back to 8 and verse 25. 8.25, when they say, who are you? Jesus gives a similar answer. Notice in 8.25, Jesus said to them, what have I been saying to you from the beginning? What have I been saying to you from the beginning? Did Christ mean from the beginning of his ministry? Or did he mean from the beginning of the ministry of John the Baptist? Or did he mean from the beginning of the Bible and the beginning of time? Of course, he was saying the truth and plainly speaking to them from the beginning of his ministry. And of course, John was preaching Christ. There's no doubt about that. John 1.29, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he was pointing the people to Christ there in their proximity. Of course that's the case. It seems best to take from the beginning to mean from the beginning of time, from the beginning of the Bible. Because he told them in John 5.39, he told them John 5.39 to 47, that Moses has been preaching Christ. And who spoke to Moses? Christ in Christophanies, in appearances of Christ, Christ personally visited Moses on numerous occasions. Christ did. And the Spirit of Christ was in the prophets. 1 Peter 1, 10 and 11. The Spirit of Christ was in the prophets, including Moses. And then in the case of Moses, we have a clear example many times of Christ appearing to Moses, a Christophany appearance of Christ, such as we read from Exodus chapter 3. Who appeared in the burning bush? It says the angel or the messenger of the Lord appeared to him, but then it says God was there, God spoke to him from the bush, the Lord spoke to him, and Moses was even afraid to look at God when he realized it was not a mere regular angel speaking from the bush. But it was God who appeared in the bush. Right? So Christ, when he says from the beginning, he's saying from the beginning of time. Now let's reiterate that from John 5. 5.39 You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is these that bear witness of me. The scriptures testify of me. And you are unwilling to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from men, but I know you that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another shall come in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another, and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? 
Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Do we see here the harmony between Moses and Christ? Moses wrote of Christ. They read Moses and they understand, yeah, Moses talked about the burning bush and Moses talked about the parting of the Red Sea and Moses talked about Sinai. Moses talked about the Ten Commandments and Moses wrote all of this, but they missed the main point of Moses. They missed the focus of Moses. What was Moses preaching? Moses was preaching Christ. Jesus said so. And he told that to them, to their face. Moses, he wrote of me. If you don't believe him, you're not going to believe me. If you believe Moses, you believe me. What an accusation. They don't actually believe Moses. They know some facts about Moses, some of the things he wrote, but they don't know the gist of what he wrote. They don't know the central truth of what he wrote, which is Jesus Christ. That's why in John 8.25, we take from the beginning to mean from the beginning of time. Because Moses wrote the book of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He wrote those books, and throughout those books, from Genesis to Deuteronomy, there are many, many assertions, predictions, prophecies, appearances of Christ, many, many in those books. And they refuse Moses. And Christ has been speaking through Moses, and the Spirit of Christ has been speaking through Moses. This is from the beginning. He's been teaching them, saying it to them. 26. I have many things to speak and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true, and the things which I heard from him, these I speak to the world. In 26, he could say many more things and he could judge many more things concerning them. But he waits for the Father. But he who sent me is true. Well, according to the previous paragraph, when is this true judgment going to take place? It's taking place in terms of witnessing right now, but the true judgment is going to take place in the world to come, in the life to come, on the day of judgment. He resorts to, he rests in the true judgment of the Father and himself on that day of judgment, knowing that the Father is true. And one day there will be many things I will say to you. There will be many things I will judge concerning you. But not right now. Right now, I'm telling you these things, but the ultimate judgment, the final judgment will take place at another time. And I am resolved and resting in this fact. But meantime, what is it that they have to know? Meantime, not only should they know that, but verse 26, the things which I heard from him, I, uh, these I speak to the world. Whatever the Father spoke to him, this is what he speaks to the world. 
He's speaking to the world, meaning in the world, to the people of the world. Because even in his time, mostly Jews, but some, a few Gentiles, heard him speak, such as the Syrophoenician woman in uh, Matthew chapter 15. She was outside and she was a Gentile, but she heard and she begged for the mercy of Christ and Christ gave it to her. Well, he speaks in the world, to the world. But what does he speak? The things which I heard from him, these I speak to the world. Who is the him? I heard from him. Who's the him? The him is God the Father. He tells us in 27... They did not realize that he had been speaking to, to them about the Father. It is the Father, God the Father. Verse 28, but I, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. And in 29, he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. He means the Father. Christ was the best student in the whole world because everything Christ heard from his father, he taught that as the father told him to teach to the world. Christ is the best pupil, the best student the world has ever known because he perfectly and accurately heard from the father and preached to the world. Did Jesus Christ preach the wisdom of man? Did Jesus Christ preach about the things of the world? Did he preach like that? No. Christ, our Lord and Savior, remember the supreme teacher, the supreme master teacher, he preached only what the Father told him to preach. Correct? One point to make. That means that his hearers are held accountable, not for the wisdom of men, not because Jesus in some ingenious way concocted a way to say things and the content to say, of, of what to say. It's not that way. Jesus himself, to his audience, has made his audience accountable to the Father because he would only tell them what the Father taught him to tell them. And he says, I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Verse 29. If Jesus was that way, should we not be that way? What wisdom do we have? Are we so sophisticated and brilliant and intelligent so inventive, even more inventive and better and wiser than God and God's Holy Spirit, that we would presume to use the wisdom of man to preach the gospel? Why would we do that? It would only be born of arrogance that we would ever do that. If we do that, we must repent of that. And when the culture of, of Christianity does that, they need to repent of it. Because it's really their pride it's their pride that would do so. If Christ didn't do so, 
Why are we doing so? Why are we not boasting in the cross of Christ? Because Paul said, but may it never be that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The word of the cross is perishing to those who are lost to the world. So we should also do the same. Only speak what the Father ordains for us to speak to the world. In verse 27, John tells us, John the Apostle tells us, they did not realize that he had been speaking to them about the Father. It seems that when he says they didn't realize he was speaking about the Father, he does not mean they didn't realize he was claiming God on his side or that God as the author of his words. I don't think John the Apostle means that because he's clearly telling them in, this, in the previous section and, and in this section, verse 18, the Father who sent me bears witness of me. Verse 19, you know neither me nor my Father. And then in our passage, when he's talking about his mission or commission, that he says in verse 28, as the Father taught me, it's not new knowledge to them that he's been speaking of the Father. Remember, in chapter 5, they wanted to put him to death because he claimed God as his own Father. Right? He has been speaking of the Father. Therefore, in 27, John means they did not realize unto salvation. They did not realize unto their benefit. They did not realize unto the blessing of their soul to be redeemed. In that sense, they did not realize him, that he was speaking of the Father. Because if we truly know Christ, immediately... There's no doubt about the Father. If we're correctly listening to the words of Christ from the Father, there will immediately be a connection between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There will not be a denial of the Father or a denial of the Holy Spirit or a denial of the Son because we're correctly hearing from the Father, nor a denial of the Spirit of the Son because we are hearing from the Spirit. You see, there is no contradiction There is no maze to untangle. There's no web to untangle. There's nothing like that. There is always unity between Father, Son, and Spirit in the work of conversion in the dead sinner. There is always this unity. So, if we truly believe the gospel, we'll never deny the Trinity, the relationship between the Father and the Son, or the Father, Son, and Spirit. Nothing like that will occur. Yet it did occur in them. It did occur in them because, like we said, they truly, they don't truly believe. They are complete unbelievers. Verse 28, Jesus therefore said, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. When you lift up the Son of Man... What does he mean by lifting up the Son of Man? John 3. John chapter 3, verse 14. 
And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. He uses this phrase, to be lifted up. Moses lifted the serpent up. That means he put the bronze serpent on a pole and he lifted it up so that the people could see the raised bronze serpent on the pole, right? He lifted up the serpent. He tells us in John 8 that he's going to be lifted up. John chapter 12. John 12. 12, 32 to 33. John 12, 32. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all to myself. What's he talking about? 33. The Apostle John says, But he was saying this to indicate the kind of death by which he was to die. And then we know from John 19, the kind of death he was to die had to do with him being raised on the cross by the Romans to be impaled on that cross. He was impaled on that cross. That was his illusion. He's talking about being raised up on the cross. That's John 8, 28. He says, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, which is partially a repetition from verse 24. I am He. But it will be too little, too late. It will be too little, too late. Remember the scripture teaches us in Philippians 2, 9 to 11, that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's every knee in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. Every knee will bow that and bow the knee to Jesus Christ being Lord to the glory of God the Father. They will realize the cross on the day of judgment, yet it'll be too late. It'll be too late because he says in 21, I go away and you shall seek me and shall die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. At that time, when you worship me and the Father, you will realize the purpose of the cross. At that time, on the day of judgment, when you realize that it's too late, that's the time that you're going to confess that I am Lord. But which time is better? You're going to realize at that time that I did not speak these things on my own initiative. On the earth, you accused me of blasphemy. On the earth, you accused me of being insane. On the earth, you accused me of being a Samaritan. On the earth, you accused me of being an illegitimate son. On the earth, you accuse me of being demon-possessed. On the earth, you accuse me of, of being a false teacher and a false Christ. But on that day, you will realize I do nothing on my own initiative. Then you will know, and you will be forced to say, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It will happen. And also, 29. 
And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. In emphasizing this point, he's saying, the Father is with me. He has not abandoned me. You might see me as a lone and lowly preacher with just a band of followers, a small band of followers. You might look at me that way and you have the you have the adoration of the multitudes and they listen to you. But I have someone greater than what you have. I have God the Father with me. The one you claim to know that you don't know, he is actually on my side and you should listen to me. And the Father is always pleased with me because I always do the things pleasing to him. He's asserting his perfection, his sinlessness. He's asserting this. I always do the things that are pleasing to him. You think you know what you're talking about, but you don't. The father is with me and the father is pleased with me because I always please him. He's with me and I'm with him. We are together in this. Verse 30. As he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. Many came to believe in him. Is this true belief or false belief? It says many came to believe in him. If we read this quickly, casually, superficially, we might think that this is true belief. Right? The moment somebody says, believe, or the Bible says believe, does it mean believe? Truly? True belief? No. It depends on context. Context is the key to interpretation. It's the key to the interpretation of Scripture. And people love to, willy-nilly, casually, take God out of context. Take Christ out of context. They love to do that to excuse their beliefs. But they are misinterpreting. In this case, they believe in Him in that there are elements that are being solidified in their mind about what He's saying. They are believing those elements, those facts, that knowledge. They are believing certain things like that. But it doesn't mean in this passage that it saved their souls. How do we know they're not saved? In this passage, how do we know? Let's read the following passage. Verse 31. You tell me, if someone is a true believer in verse 30, will he say and behave in the way that they say, speak and behave in 31 to 59? Can you fathom a true believer, a born-again believer, a born-again person, a Christian, somebody who's got a new heart, whose perspective on life has been completely transformed, will that kind of individual do the things and say the things that are then mentioned in 31 to 59? Let's answer that question. Verse 31. Jesus, therefore, was saying to those Jews who had believed him. A connection to the previous verse, right? To those Jews who had believed him. If you abide in my word, 
then you are truly disciples of mine. If you abide, remain, if you stay in it, right? If you don't stay in it, then you're not my disciples. Not in truth. Why would he say not truly? Verse 32, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. That's amazing. You'll know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. That implies that his hearers are slaves. Correct? Verse 33, They, his hearers, answered him, the believers, the believers, right? They answered him, We are Abraham's offspring and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you shall become free? They were offended by that sweet little word, free. They were offended by a kind, good word, free. Kind and good in the way Jesus meant it. They were offended. Jesus answered them, verse 34, Truly, 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 I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. And the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. If therefore the Son of Man shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Pause. Who commits sin? Everybody does. And if everybody commits sin, then everybody's a slave of sin. What is the only resolution? What is the only emancipation that we have from slavery to sin? And that is if we are made free by the Son of God, Jesus the Son. Verse 36. If therefore the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. He has to clarify that because they're denying their slavery to sin. 37. Are they believers? Look at 37. I know that you are Abraham's offspring, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. From this answer, it doesn't seem like they're believers. He says, I know you're Abraham's offspring physically. You're in Abraham's bloodline. That's true. But you seek to kill me because you're not in Abraham's spiritual bloodline. Spiritually speaking, you don't know me. You don't know him. He's not your father. He's not your ancestor. Abraham is not. You seek to kill me. Do believers, true believers, seek to murder Christ? No. No. And he says, my word has no place in you. True believers have his word in them. But he's saying to them, those who presumably believed, pretentiously believed, in verse 31, My word has no place in you. Yes, you heard my words, but they bounced off your ears. You heard my words, but they didn't sink into your mind. You've been thinking about something else. You don't care. You heard my words, but my words did not sink into and remain and bear fruit in your dead heart. It didn't happen. My word has no place in you. Verse 38 I speak the things which I have seen with my father. Therefore, you also do the things which you heard from your father. Now, what does he mean? Christ tells them that he has a source, his father, and they have a source, their father. Well, who's Christ's father? God the father. Who is their father? And he's saying, 
My father is not your father. Your father is not my father. He's making a contrast here, right? Who is their father? Are they believers if they have a different father? Verse 39, they answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God, this Abraham did not do. 41, you are doing the deeds of your father. Pause right there in the middle of 41, pause. They claim that Abraham is their father. Jesus says, no, you're not behaving like Abraham. If you were like Abraham, you wouldn't wouldn't be doing what you're trying to do. That is to kill me. I heard from God. Abraham heard from God. And Abraham did not seek to kill me. You are doing the deeds of your father. Still, who is their father? 41. They said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father. That is God. Now they are blaspheming Christ again with mockery. They weren't born of fornication. They had married parents. They had married parents when their children were born. So they were not born of fornication. That's what they're saying. And even if they mean spiritually speaking, they have God. They don't have idols as their God. They have God the Father. They're claiming that. Idols didn't produce them. God did. That's their assertion. They claim it. 42, Jesus said to them, If God were your Father, you would love me. So God's not your Father, He's telling them. For I proceeded forth and have come from God, for I have not even come on my own initiative, but He sent me. Why do you not understand what I'm saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. In 37, he says, my word has no place in you, but they cannot hear it. They have physical ears, but not spiritual ears. They have physical eyes, but not spiritual eyes. They cannot hear it. They don't have it. 44, you are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Now, he openly, plainly, clearly tells them that they are sons of the devil. They are sons of Satan. If God isn't our father in truth, then we are sons of Satan. The devil. He's a liar and a murderer. There's no truth in him. 45. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Wait a minute. Because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. If God is the God of truth, and Jesus is the truth, and the spirit of truth is in all of these words, then we would believe, we would love, we would cherish the truth, right? But those who belong to Satan want nothing to do with the truth, he says. So they don't want anything to do with the truth because they belong to Satan. They don't know God. They're not true believers. 46, which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason you do not hear them, because you are not of God. You are not of God. 
you are of the devil. The supposed believers of verse 31, 48. They don't let up. Notice in verse 48, the Jews answered and said to him, do we not rightly say you are a Samaritan and have a demon? They, they call him one of a foreign race, estranged race, the Samaritans, and they also accuse him of having the devil as his father. Now both can't be true, right? Either Jesus is a Jew or he's a Samaritan. Either Jesus' father is God the Father or the devil. Both can't be true. Who's telling the truth? Is Jesus Christ telling the truth or are they telling the truth? It has to be Christ. And here is another way of showing that they're not true believers. 49, Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. But I do not seek my glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Truly, truly, I say to you, if any man keeps my word, he shall never see death. They are dishonoring Christ and the Father. Now he says, if you keep my word, you will never see death. What death does he mean? We know what he means, but notice what they say. 52, the Jews said to him, now we know you have a demon. Now we know you have a demon. They're accusing him of demonic possession. Abraham died. The prophets also. And you say, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste of death. How in the world could you say such a thing? We know that our predecessors, our ancestors died. But you're saying it won't happen. You must be demon-possessed. 53. Surely you are not greater than our father Abraham who died. The prophets died too. Whom do you make yourself out to be? They do know, though, that if Jesus is correct, that he has to be greater than Abraham and the prophets. He has to be greater than Abraham and the prophets if Jesus is correct. They still are insisting, who are you claiming to be? 54, Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. And you have not come to know him. You have not come to know him. But I know him. And if I say that I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. He says here that they claim... The Father is their God in 54. But Jesus tells them, you have not come to know him. You don't know him. You're not true believers. You're not disciples. I know him. You don't know him. If I say I don't know him, then that will make me a liar like you. He tells his opponents they are full of lies. They are full of the devil for rejecting his words. They're not true believers. That kind of accusation could not be railed against a true believer. Correct? And he says, I do know him and keep his word. I keep his word, you don't keep his word, is the implication. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. 56. The Jews therefore said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. 
taken from Exodus 3, 14 and 15. I am. Therefore, they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. They know that Jesus, in his appearance, he was not even 50 years old. But Abraham had died about 2,000 years beforehand. Abraham died, but Jesus claims that Abraham saw Christ, Christ saw Abraham. He's saying that. So he is greater than Abraham. He is greater than the prophets. He is the Son of God from heaven. That's who he is. And he also says that he is I am. The I am that appeared to Moses in the burning bush. Exodus 3, 14 and 15. He's claiming that, asserting that about himself. They know what he means, but reject it. And that's why they want to put him to death. That's why they are not true believers. For all these reasons, they are not true believers. May we take heed to this passage. This passage is not full of of sugar and flowers. This passage is not that. It is full of necessary ointment to heal the soul. And if we reject it, it may be hopeless for us if we persist in our rejection. Hopeless, eternal punishment, dying in sin. Unless you believe that I am He, you shall die in your sins. Therefore, let's make sure we all truly believe. And when we preach, preach the gospel just as Jesus preached. Not better than Jesus, but exactly like Jesus. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.